good day to everyone. My name's Paul Bartlett, and I'm a correspondent for Sea Trade Maritime News. I'm very pleased to be talking today to Will Frey, a director of London-based Maritime Strategies International, a consultancy specialising in ship markets and seaborne trade. Today we're going to hear from Will about the impact of Russia's war in Ukraine on global food supplies and, in shipping terms, on bulk carriers operating in the dry trades. Make sure you stay informed between episodes of the Maritime Podcast. Visit www.ctrade-maritime.com and sign up for our daily newsletter. Will, first of all, Russia and Ukraine traditionally supply more than 20% of the world's grain exports, mostly out of ports in the Black Sea. The harvest in Ukraine is under threat this year because the invasion has disrupted the planting season and the country's Black Sea ports are closed. Sanctions on Russia do not yet cover grain exports, but many trading partners are distancing themselves and the country is facing other financial restrictions on its trade. Please can you outline the implications for global food supplies and, specifically, what this disruption means for heavily import-reliant regions, including Europe, North Africa, the Middle East and Asia. I think we should divide this threat into two separate issues, really. Firstly, is the direct impact. Make sure you stay informed between episodes of the Maritime Podcast. Visit www.ctrade-maritime.com and sign up for our daily newsletter. Of the conflict itself on grain supplies, particularly out of Ukrainian ports. And then the second issue then is the impact of sanctions and how that might affect the Russian exports. Dealing with the direct threat first, we know that the Ukrainian ports are currently closed and there's no grains being shipped out of those ports right now. And that would be you know, the remaining grains from the last marketing year. But I think that you know the major issue is going to be when this marketing year then comes to harvest in the summer. Now the wheat crop is planted, a winter wheat crop is planted in the autumn, and whilst that is in the ground, the threat is then from how that crop will be tended and how it will be harvested. Given that a large amount of the farm work staff we understand are going to the front line. There's also issues on the availability of fertilisers, whether they're going to be put down in time to support the crop. There's issues on fuel availability. And you know, I think even in a best-case scenario where the ports get reopened later this year, I think there's going to be a huge damage to that wheat crop as it is. Now, the, you know, the other crops that Ukraine produce are corn and barley, and, and they're planted in April and May. And maybe you could argue that they're probably more at threat because... The timing of that means that as this conflict goes on, then how much of that will actually be planted, given the low likelihood of that you know, reaching the export markets. And we know the government is taking steps to support the agriculture in the country to try and provide some mechanism for farm labour to continue. But their priority will clearly be to support domestic food supplies, not for exports this year. So yes, there is going to be an impact on grains out of the region directly from the conflict. You know, from sanctions out of Russia, agricultural commodities are exempted nominally from the sanctions. We understand there are issues at the moment with the kind of mechanism of trade with 
the majority of Russian banks being taken out of the SWIFT system, for instance. Now, we understand you know, the two key banks for trade are uh, have not been uh, part of these SWIFT sanctions, and, and they will help continue the, uh, the, the, the flow of grains out of Russia. But it's going to take a little while for that routes to settle, the payment routes to settle and the trade to settle and, and, and things to start up again. So, yes, I think there will be exports coming out of Russia and Black Sea ports later in the year. And we actually at the moment can see ships, some ships um, still trading in that region. But there are, just, there are other issues at play there as well, such as the increased insurance costs to call that those ports, the reticence of some owners to go to the Black Sea completely. So there's going to be some disruptions then to, to Russian supplies, which all told is, is very concerning for the countries that import grains from that region, mainly in the Middle East and in Africa. And there's certainly going to be some uh, potential you know, shortage of, of grain supplies there. Right. Thank you. You mentioned the, uh, the the question of war risk cover and uh, whether ship owners will be prepared to run into those ports, but also there's the question of seafarers and whether they should be expected to to run on those voyages. Yeah, it's a very key question and you know, an important piece of the jigsaw. It, 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 ship owners will have the safety of their seafarers you know, at the top of the list. It's of utmost importance to them. So. They're clearly going to be steering clear of Ukrainian ports during the conflict. That is a given. And the extent to which they're happy to visit Russian ports, which are not directly a threat, there's probably going to be a number of owners that will be happy to do that, given they may be assessed the risk to be to load their seafarers. I think what we expect to see is that with you know, war risk premiums, with owners not wanting to call into the into the Black Sea region, we hear of some owners already you know, staying in the, in the Pacific Basin, not not uh, ballasting towards the Black Sea. Then the premiums for freight out of the region will rise, and that may support the flow of the trade. It, it may support supply of some vessels from some owners in, into the region. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's another piece of the dis- disruption, really, um, and um, we, we think that, that, that the freight rates will will be quite strong out of out of that area for a while. Now, the cost of grains has already climbed very steeply since the invasion, but so too, obviously, have a range of overheads in the world's food chain, not least energy, fertilizers, and agricultural plant. Do you think we're actually heading for a global food crisis? There's the rising costs of grains, the supply of fertilisers in particular are a big concern. I think also we have to take into account the state of stockpiles around the world. And the only country where we've seen stockpiles at good levels is in China. They've built up a strategic stockpile over a long period of time, over the last sort of five, six years or so. Unfortunately, the key importers of grains from the Black Sea have got very low stock, the lowest for around 20 years in the Middle East and North Africa. So uh, it's a really great concern what happens there. I think the the talk of sort of global food crisis, I think there'll be widespread food issues and an emergence of crises in certain regions. I think if we bear in mind countries such as Ghana, where 40% of the average 
earnings goes on food, then that's going to be a huge issue for those nations. And then there's countries where they're heavily supported by aid programs. So Yemen, Afghanistan, if they aren't able to secure grains because those the aid agencies can't raise the funds to pay for the higher grains, then yes, I'm afraid to say that there's, there's going to be some serious issues later this year for you know, certain impoverished regions. But those that there are, what does that mean for dry bulk shipping demand and tonne miles? Well, I think margin, there's some potential substitution. You might see with corn prices rising very strongly because of the lack of Ukraine supplies, then you could see China using more more soybeans, importing more from, from the US, from Latin America. I think the, the real problem is that, that um, uh, even if around the world there's going to be a larger planted area, then, then, then there's a real problem with lack of fertilisers this year. And that's not only fertilisers out of, of Russia. I think the fertiliser is exempt from that. But there's issues with fertilisers coming out of Belarus because they've um, there's been a, a sanction on Belarus, Belarusian exports and they're a key provider of pot- potash. Uh, the high gas prices are impacting um, the, the production of ammonia. Um, and China also has uh, put restrictions on, on, ex- on exports of fertilisers. So the major issue we have is that around the world, if the response to high prices is to increase planted area, there's still going to be issues with securing fertiliser. I, I think a lot of analysts have pointed to the North American uh, consumption of biofuels and whether this year perhaps less crop will go towards biofuels, but with the high oil prices where they are, I'm not sure. It would need a bit of an intervention from the government there to, to try and make that a potential, and I, I'm not sure that is a, is going to be... It certainly won't be enough to offset the issues happening elsewhere. It's not as if a loss of Russian supplies are going to be uh, suddenly offset by huge amounts of long-haul trade because the issues are, can those grains be produced elsewhere this year? If you're enjoying listening, make sure you never miss an episode of the Maritime Podcast by subscribing on the app of your choice. Well, a number of issues are likely to impact bulk carry supply, the cost of energy being one. With oil and gas prices hitting new peaks and some energy analysts predicting $200 oil before long, countries are inevitably turning back to coal. More coal shipments are likely to create demand for sea transport, but they're probably going to be in demand for larger bulk carriers deployed on longer voyages including Cape Size and Panamax. But Panamax bulkers are also deployed in the grain trades. So could there be a tonnage supply squeeze, do you think, in the months ahead? The situation in the kind of energy markets from all this is that we're likely to see uh, Europe in particular moving away from gas and into coal in the short term. From a long period of time, Europe has been reducing its consumption of coal, but that pace of reduction will probably stall this year if not rise and it will continue to fall but for a period you know we're not going to hit the sort of short-term trends that have been happening recently and where's you going to get that coal from because whilst russian energy products like coal are, are not subject to sanctions i think there's a sort of willingness to turn away from russian supplies so 
we can see more imports from the US, um, from Colombia. We there are we've heard of shipments from Australia going to Europe. But you know, I think if you look at the overall picture, though, when you're looking at higher coal prices, what's really going to happen is is that China and India are going to start to produce more coal. So again, we're not expecting to see this kind of large tonne-mile impact as Russian supplies head more towards the east and you know, Europe has to import from elsewhere, which is sort of a, maybe the most obvious outcome because we expect to see China producing more, importing less this year. There'll be some more Black Sea coal, but only you know, 10% out of, of, of Russian coal comes out of the Black Sea. will go into India potentially. But I think the, the overall impact of all this will actually be slightly negative for coal trade in the short term. I guess that, you know, with lower volumes being only partly offset by the impact of higher tonne miles. I suppose on the other hand, bulk carrier supply is going to be limited for the next few years. More than 90% of ships on bulk carriers on order are to be built in China and Japan. And China has only a, a small amount of uh, marginal capacity because its yards are pretty much full. Japan might be able to take a few more orders. What's your view on this, Will? Yeah, I think it's been a very interesting dynamic over the past sort of year or so of very strong freight earnings, but we haven't seen the kind of response you would normally expect in contracting. There's, you know, shipyard supply has been a part of that issue. Many of the, the sort of key yards only offering berths for 2024 delivery onwards, and that has perhaps been an impact on on, on dampening the new contracting, rising new build prices. But I think that, you know, to some extent, there's also a bit of caution over the freight market outlook. And that, in its heart, has been the issue of COVID and, and understanding that one of the key drivers for very strong freight rates has been congestion and has been those emerging fleet inefficiencies, or the inefficiencies of trade, which when COVID effects start to decline and that congestion comes off, then what is that longer term outlook going to be and is it a wise time to order on the basis of where freight rates are if they're going to come off and you're looking longer ahead then there's questions about the future of coal trade and there's questions really also about the future of iron ore trade so the final point i guess is then owners are still not clear in a collective sense on what type of ship the design of ship the what fuel that ship should use to meet long-term regulations so and that, that that's still very kind of relevant right now is that those outlook for the regulations and the, the right design the right fuels to meet those regulations still aren't particularly clear i think we will see orders starting to merge later in the year um i think there'll be a temptation to secure birth space for 2025 deliveries 24 25 because at that time the consensus will probably gather there'll be there'll, there'll be some likely solution you want to have a birth space quite quickly in that process and you can always adjust the specifications of that, of that vessel over that period so yeah the order book will stay low for a while and, and perhaps start to build later this year well 20 percent of, of the bulk carrier fleet is more than 15 years old so those ships were built before the imo's energy efficiency design index was introduced many of them therefore are unlikely to meet carbon intensity regulations coming in next January. Those won't actually take effect for more than a year. 
but that will also put a squeeze on these older ships. Can you comment on that, please, Will? The EEXI requirements are you know, very tight, tight in the EDI due to the reduction factors required for those ships. So we actually are building a database of EEXI for dry box ships to go alongside our calculations of or estimates for AER as well. And we're estimating around 20% of the fleet doesn't comply with EEXI. Now, in the vast majority of cases in the dry bulk market, those vessels will be able to fit an EPL, uh, an engine power limiter or a shaft power limiter, which is relatively unobtrusive in, in its process of installation. So we don't think there's going to be a short-term supply issue with vessels being taken out of the market to fit these kind of solutions. We think that's going to be relatively seamless. The question about supply really is then, you know, what's the impact going to be on the trading capability of the fleet going forward? Now, there's been a fair amount of analysis done on this, and we've seen estimates where the kind of average trading speed of the fleet will drop by, you know, between half percent and 1%, which doesn't seem like a huge amount because the fact is that they're already operating at speeds that would be below where their EPLs will start to have an impact in, in most cases. But for me, I think the issue is more they don't have the ability anymore to speed up. So whereas a ship might have a requirement to speed up to meet a lay cam window if they had been through bad weather or, or um, uh, rerouting or the various issues that can happen on voyage, whereas previously they'd be able to sort of speed up beyond where an EPL would, would allow them to meet that lay cam window, they won't be able to do that. And that is the kind of source of inefficiencies that really do support the market. Uh, and I think, you know, in, in, in many circumstances, you may find owners declaring la- later lay count windows to make sure they're going to meet that if they have issues en route. So the actual impact on supply of shipping and on the market could manifest in higher port congestion, for instance. So it's an interesting one. I think that, you know, as, as some analysts say it's not going to have a huge impact on the trading speed of the fleet. I think the bigger impact will be from the knock-on impact of issues such as port congestion, which is all positive for market balances. Finally, we've focused on grain, but uh, what other commodities are likely to be affected by the conflict? From Ukraine, from Russia, the other commodities, apart from um, coal and grains, uh, are iron ore from Ukraine. And clearly... That's not being exported at the moment uh, as the ports are shut. And in a best case scenario, if those ports are open later in the year, then we could see that coming back to market quite quickly. So unlike the the grains trade, where if they are open, there's still going to be issues with the supply of the commodity. We think iron ore, as long as the infrastructure is not too badly damaged, there's a potential for it to come back. But the impact of lower iron ore from Ukraine will probably be higher production in Scandinavia and also, China's domestic production will also be supported a little, which which is, goes in line with their own plans to secure a bit more of their supplies of iron ore. From Russia, other commodities that were really at risk from the sanctions then for trade into the, those countries such as EU are aluminium, forestry products and, and steel. So I think there'll be a, a redirection of trade then eastbound of those commodities um, for a while, um, uh, and that will have 
sort of some impact on the deployment of particularly handy side or uh, supermax bulkers or geared vessels. But I think, to be honest, there's going to be some knock-on effects of those. There'll be knock-on effects on aluminium prices, for instance. Um, I mentioned fertilisers before having a potentially large impact on the market. But overall, from all the sort of dry bulk commodity mix, I think it's grains is the most concern. You've been listening to Sea Trade Maritime News correspondent Paul Bartlett talking with MSI's Will Frey. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Maritime Podcast, please be sure to subscribe on the app of your choice. Thank you for listening and stay safe until the next episode.